and welcome to the Off the Charts Rapid Reaction NFL Draft Special. I'm Mark Simon, resident question asker with SIS Director of Football and R&D, Matt Minicharia. Our producer is Justin Stein. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to touch on 10 topics from day one of the NFL Draft. I've got questions for Matt. I'll ask follow-ups when I need to. And we'll give you what you need to know from today, and we'll do it quick. All right, topic number one, 49ers, third pick overall. We talked about this over and over and over and over again. And they go with Trey Lance. Matt, your take. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, most importantly, Justin nailed it in the SIS mock draft. That's our producer, Justin Stein, I'm talking about. Before the lines had even moved and everybody has started to think that it was going to be Trey Lance, Justin was on top of it. He had that pick at number three. And let's just, while we're at it, mention that he nailed the first seven picks of the draft and won the mock draft contest with the members of the SIS football staff. But I digress. Trey Lance made much more sense than Mac Jones, the rumored guy from the beginning. Mark, how many times have we been talking about it? We've gone back and forth, and I just could not understand why you would trade up from 12 to 3 to go for Mac Jones when he wasn't going to go above 12. As we saw tonight, he went at number 15 to the Patriots. Trey Lance at least makes sense in the sense that he has the physical tools that warrant trading up for. Um, he's a good fit for the Niners. There's a run-focused play-action offense. He's got the tight end and the fullback that are going to help make his job easier. Kyle Shanahan is going to make his job easier. They've upgraded their offensive line with two veterans at left tackle and at center this offseason. The thing with Trey Lance that maybe people didn't connect the dots with on Kyle Shanahan is that this isn't an off schedule type quarterback. He very much did play on schedule and within the frame of the offense in what he was asked to do at North Dakota state, just because you're athletic doesn't mean that you're uh, running outside of the scheme all the time. And I, and I think that's the key there. It's not that Shanahan doesn't want a quarterback that can run. It's that he wants a quarterback who's going to fit into the framework of his scheme. And so clearly that's the, the guy who he coveted the whole time. Is this a pick that we would call high upside, modest risk, or are we going to call it high upside, high risk? However you want to phrase it, but uh, the error bars couldn't be larger when you talk about Trey Lance. This is a guy who it wouldn't surprise me if in his third season in the NFL, second season would be pushing it, but by the third season in the NFL, he could develop into a guy that is doing the, the sort of Lamar Jackson type of things in terms of being a true dual threat runner and a passer. At the same time, uh, it also wouldn't surprise me if there were aspects of his game that that didn't transcend. He might, you know, I would say the downside is more a little bit like, and I don't mean this in a in a way that to upset Eagles fans, but it's a little bit more Jalen Hurts in that maybe not going to be bringing that grade A passing, but certainly what he can do athletically uh, will be there. It, it really remains to be seen when he plays against a high quality of competition. All right, so Matt shouted out Justin a few moments ago. We want to get Justin a chance to have a take on Trey Lance, because as you said, he picked the top uh, seven picks of the draft correctly, and he wants to have a, tra a take on Trey Lance. So go ahead, Justin. Yeah, so I charted a couple Trey Lance games this year and came away pretty unimpressed with him overall. Far be it from me to question Shanahan's uh, ability to evaluate quarterbacks, but with the roster that they have that could be a Super Bowl contending roster, I just don't understand moving up to three to get a project like Lance and not adding a piece that can help them win this year right away. Matt, what, what's your take on that? Are you on the same page as me, or do you tend to think that this is the kind of guy who's worth trading up for to build for the future? Well, I think you're, you're telling on yourself in that you've actually watched Trey Lance play in the way that a lot of people haven't. Because the last time we saw Trey Lance on film, 
uh, whether it be the one game this year or the full season in 2019, it's really weird. It's a really weird thing to watch when you're used to watching NFL play or even high-level college football. So I'm with you. Uh, my take on that is that he must think that he's going to be ready sooner rather than later. Maybe he starts off with something where Trey Lance is doing gadget stuff for them, where he's kind of like a ball carrier slash quarterback Cordell Stewart type role thing. And he's integrating him with Garoppolo at first and, and Kyle Shanahan's just thinking three steps ahead of all of us. That would be really cool if that was the answer to this question. But I, I think more likely, I think he's, he thinks that he can get Trey Lance up to speed sooner rather than later. You know, I'm kind of with you, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, how did that impact the other picks? That's topic number two. First of all, it starts with the Falcons, who have deficiencies in a lot of places, but one of them jived with the best player on the board. Your thoughts on Kyle Pitts to the Falcons? Yeah, Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. Congratulations, Terry Fondnote. I love that they just got a great player in there. We've talked at length about Kyle Pitts and what he can bring to an offense. But what really gets me excited is the Falcons had a lot of bad luck in the early part of the season. They got off to a losing streak. They actually didn't end the season so terribly. All of a sudden, you look at Matt Ryan coming back. They've kind of doubled down on him. He's going to be there for a couple more years. And then you look at Calvin Ridley. If they keep Julio Jones, which is a question mark at this point, but if they have Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Kyle Pitts, along with Matt Ryan, all of a sudden this is this is really exciting. You know, when I look in the football rookie handbook, sure, the cupboard is relatively bare on the offensive line. But man, uh, when you have that that quality of a quarterback along with those sorts of weapons, uh, it gets you at least a little bit excited. Uh, there's something there's something to do there. And if last year really was just a down year, you know, four wins for the Falcons, but seven and a half Pythagorean wins and 7.7 wins by SIS war. So if you see that regression to the mean and they were actually closer to a 500 team than a four win team, all of a sudden you had a player like this and, and they could be on the fast track to their rebuild rather than, you know, be stuck in neutral, right? They still got Matt Ryan. Let's be real about it. All our quarterback stats uh, have Matt Ryan is still uh, having something left from what we can say. All right. Topic number three, JC Horn, first surprise of the draft to the Panthers. I'll point this out. Chris Felica, guest on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, had uh, JC Horn. He felt like he was going to be the first quarterback to go off the board, predicted it on ESPN.com. Matt, but you were surprised by this. Your take. Yeah, that's why Chris is smarter than me. No, J.C. Horn to the Panthers there definitely surprised me. I didn't love the pick for the Panthers. I would have loved Justin Fields there for him. I really thought that that, that might have been the move, and, and, and I love the prospect there. But when you look at Horn and why he fits in, you can see they're trying to build up that defense. He excels in press man, and that's a really rare trait. That's something that Corners are asked to do on the NFL level a lot, but they're really hard to find. There's only a select few in college football, and J.C. Horn's been doing this at a high level, did it at a really high level in 2020. He's very physical at the line, whether he's in press man or zone, so they promise to deploy him aggressively as they want to be on all levels of their defense. And it'll be interesting to see, as he plays such a prominent role in their defense, if he'll be able to fill that role. He performed much better in his seven games in 2020 than over his previous two years. A 99 coverage total points rating in 2020 after a 71 and a 79, very middling in his first two years. Uh, I mentioned before, I would have loved Fields here for them. My favorite corner in the draft was Sertan, who, who went a pick later to the Broncos. But uh, in terms of being able to fit that press man role for them, you know, it seems at least like they have a vision for the player. We go from the Panthers to the Cowboys, and we look at uh, what they did, trading down with the Eagles, taking Micah Parsons. We had Micah Parsons as the fourth best wheel linebacker in the, in the draft. 
according to the football rookie handbook. Now, is this a question of the Cowboys seeing something that SIS didn't, or is it fair to say that we didn't see a big difference between our top will and our fourth will? Yeah, well, that's definitely a part of it. So our grading scale is much more about value than it's about ranks. We don't care about linebacker one versus linebacker four. The receiver position in this year's draft is a great example of that, right? You look at those top three receivers, you could say Devontae Smith's only our third ranked receiver, or you could say he's one of our top 10 ranked players. So, I mean, it's really more about the grade than it is about the rank. So that's part of it. And even at the will position, our top will, Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, had a 6.8 final grade. And Parsons is just a tick behind him at a 6.7, right? A 6.8 versus 6.7. So, in a, you know, we're trying to separate these guys into tiers with the grades. And then we're trying to find what fits best for our team based on a whole lot of other factors. So the other thing that's going on. Our scale really prioritizes what off-ball linebackers can do in coverage. And I think that on third down, we'll see that Parsons' role really projects to more of a pass rusher, ideally, especially in the early part of his career. He hasn't shown it on film that he can be a really quality coverage guy in either man or zone. That said, probably a good fit with the Cowboys, right? We're looking at a team that already has Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. So I think you look at him early in his career being a guy that can be more of a pass rusher, especially in those nickel situations. And then eventually you hope that he develops into a Devin White type of player, the linebacker with the Bucks, who is really somebody who is primarily a blitzer on third down, not primarily a coverage player. So early part of his career, use him as that pass rusher. And then later in his career, you can have that sort of hybrid role where he's, where he's blitzing occasionally, but he's also hopefully developed in his sort of coverage game at that point. The draft really started to get fun at topic number five, and that's the Bears trading up uh, Ryan Pace with a ninth life at quarterback. And he adds Justin Fields. And I have not seen such a happy reaction from Bears Twitter at any point before today. Yeah, I mean, what a what a fantastic best case scenario for anybody Bears related. It was looking really bleak looking into an Andy Dalton season. And then all of a sudden, the guy who, who I believe is is the second ranked quarterback in the draft. I probably think he's closer to the number one ranked quarterback than to the three, four, or five, as we spent so much time discussing. I think it's it's a great value play for them, despite the fact that they had to trade up. And my old boss, Ryan Pace, I love the move. Certainly, you know, it's been rumored, the hot seat, all this kind of stuff. He's got to take a swing to try to to try to make it work. They've done a lot of good roster building in a lot of other parts of the team. This is a real make or break fit. Uh, ho- hopefully they can they can build things around him and they can capitalize on it. Always always swinging for the fences when you're trading up like that and, and giving away a first round pick next year. But uh, I love the player. So uh, nothing to argue with there. This is one of the few times in the NFL draft that in recent years that I can remember where two teams make a trade and both fan bases react very happily. We'll get to the Giants in a second, but first the Patriots. Mac Jones goes 15. Uh, my favorite step up to the podium moment of the draft was definitely Mac Jones racing down the hallway to meet Roger Goodell. You could see there was a lot of purpose to his walk. Uh, he goes to New England. He goes to Bill Belichick. As his father points out, he goes from the best college coach to the best head coach in NFL history. Not bad for him and probably about where he should have wound up, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's frightening if you're a, a Patriots hater like most of us and, you know, you worry about this kind of Tom Brady mold quarterback going to the evil empire. But at the same time, you know, this is a Patriots team that has has hits and misses in terms of the draft. And obviously there's there's no bigger hit than Tom Brady. 
But uh, we'll see how it pans out with Mac Jones because certainly my belief in terms of why I think he's more limited than when it, than some of these other quarterbacks is that I, I didn't think that the upside was there as much as I do like the accuracy, the decision-making, the kind of mental ability, just it's going to be a harder thing that he has to play against on the NFL level. Now, when we talk about Belichick and what he's done to build the team this year, we talked about offensively, they've really pivoted back to trying to build this strong upfront, the two tight end game, they're probably going to try to bludgeon teams a bunch. So he's going to be trying to make it something that works for Mac Jones and can be a little bit of an easier system built around play action, stuff like that, where Jones can be a distributor. But at the same time, I'm, you know, the jury's out to see how these kind of unathletic quarterbacks can do in the modern NFL. And if Mac Jones, other traits can transcend what he lacks in athleticism. All right. Yes or no. Would you have taken Mac Jones if you were the Patriots GM there? Oh, that's an excellent question. I probably wouldn't have, to be honest. I probably wouldn't have. I, I just don't think there's enough upside in terms of, of what he brings to the table relative to other people. And, and I think they have enough other holes on their franchise that they can that they can address. But uh, you know what? If I That being said, I know what it's like when you're on the inside and different teams have different traits that they're looking for. And if it was their guy, then I have no reason to argue with the pick. Mac Jones and... Cam Newton are like polar opposite quarterbacks. How do they go about building the offense in the offseason, planning for both of those guys with two completely different skill sets? Yeah, I love it. I appreciate the question because I the thought crossed my mind earlier too. You're going to have to really game plan two different ways. I know you can say things like you're going to run the same offense with Cam Newton that you run with Mac Jones. And to an extent, that can be true. Like the passing plays that you call can be similar passing plays. There's this, this misnomer that people think that you can't run RPOs with a, an immobile quarterback, but they don't realize that on RPOs, it's not the quarterback doing the running. So that's that's not something that, that really exists. But at the same time, it's obvious that when the Patriots are running their offense with Cam Newton, they're doing a lot of designed run stuff and they're building a lot of what they do around the ability to manipulate the, the read defender in terms of their zone read game. So I think you're spot on, Justin. They really have to install two different offenses for when these guys are out there. I think it puts the pressure on them to make a decision sooner rather than later about who they want to start in there. Now, maybe the one thing that works in their favor is Cam Newton's already been in the system a year. And if there's one thing you hear about Mac Jones, it's it's how smart he is, you know, how he's been teaching Bill O'Brien, the system at Alabama. So if he really is that sort of a kind of football savant, then uh, maybe that alleviates some of that pressure a little bit. Certainly provides some intrigue in New England uh, heading into the fall. Topic number seven, a little bit of a puzzle here. Alex Leatherwood at number 17 to the Raiders. Your thoughts? I mean, this was really, uh, you know, we talked about the first big surprise earlier with J.C. Horn. This was the first big puzzler for me. He, he comes in with a 6.7 grade, a 6.7 grade. That's a strong starter grade by our grading scale. We thought he was better suited as a, as a guard than as a tackle. But, you know, wherever they plan on playing him, I think it's kind of fine. But, I mean, this is a, this has become a kind of repeat pattern over the past couple of years where the Raiders just come out of left field with somebody that I, I didn't even really think was in the running as a consideration for them. And maybe you can say they're, they're playing the smokescreen game better than anybody else. But for me, I just don't think they're getting great value in the draft. I don't think they're being that they're building a sustainable model. Why do I feel like every year we read articles the day after the draft that say John Gruden thinks that he's smart, he's still smarter than everybody else? Guess we'll find out. Alex Leatherwood, a powerful and lengthy lineman, was the versatile all-round game to be an impactful guard at the next level. That was from the football rookie handbook, Alec Mellon and Tobin Sharp. 
Yeah, you know, Mark, I think I think it was just a bit of a reach. He's certainly a player that has plenty of size, plenty of experience on the film. I just think there's athletic limitations. Uh, and we saw two picks later, Jamin Davis, number 19 to Washington. I would throw that in the same category. Also a little bit of a reach. Both of those picks to me, you know, you think about their sandwich around our number one edge, Jalen Phillips going to Miami at number 18. It's just a little bit underwhelming to me in comparison. Topic number seven, the question marks of the draft. We get a topic number eight, the team that I think Matt thinks was the big winner of the day. The Miami Dolphins, a great first round by his standards. Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, welcome to Miami. Your thoughts? Yeah, as I just mentioned, Phillips, and that's that's like the the last of the things that that worked out great for Miami in this great series that led into this great first round. So this didn't start today. This started years ago. It started with the Tunsil trade. They pick up the first round pick from the Texans that ends up being the number three pick. They end up trading down to 12, back up to six. But in the process, they pick up another first round pick for the future. So it's like the gift that keeps on giving. And then they get the top wide receiver in the football rookie handbook in Jalen Waddle and the top edge rusher in the football rookie handbook in Jalen Phillips. Jalen and Jalen, a name that didn't exist 30 years ago. Just a fantastic haul for them. And, and they still have more to come in terms of future number ones, multiple picks in future rounds. Really, really nice stuff from the Dolphins. And I think, you know, in terms of building a sustainable model, that, that is how you do it. Waddle sets Tua up for a big success, right? You know, I think absolutely. I think just like a team that we're about to talk about Tua is he had no weapons offensively last year at least at this point now we're starting to talk about getting a waddle in there getting you know now they have two really good deep threats when you think about them also adding from Houston Fuller so you bring those guys in there complement them with Parker and Gusecki and what those guys do as kind of your power forward and your center and now all of a sudden you're building a receiving corp that uh, has some options there so I think I think there are positive things in Miami. Steady building process continues to go on there. We continue to zoom through the first round of the NFL draft, and we look at the Giants as topic number nine. They move down in the trade. The uh, Nets, the Bears, Justin Fields. They wind up drafting Kadarius Tony at number twenty. This done partly as a result of losing out on their uh, probably top receiver choice, Devontae Smith. They get Kadarius Tony at 20 instead. As you said, they add the first round pick next year. Tony, dangerous weapon out of the slot and backfield with flashes of uncanny separation skills and acceleration. But doing so on a consistent snap-to-snap basis will take his game to the next level. That from John Todd in the Football Rookie Handbook. Your thoughts on Gettleman and the trade and Tony? Yeah, well, first of all, goodbye Gettleman on the trade. You know, I'm not accustomed to saying, you know, good strategic decision by by Dave Gettleman. But here, I think patently, it's a case where we got to give credit where credit is due. It was an intelligent move down and, you know, picking up a future one, just like we talked about with the Dolphins, that's always a good move. Uh, the only thing, in my opinion, that would have been better would have been staying put themselves and taking Fields because I have my questions about Daniel Jones, and I think Fields could have done more for the Giants offense than, than Kadarius Tony even could have. So I think that would have been the one thing that, that I might have preferred. But uh, all that said, this is it for Daniel Jones. The weapons are around him now. They've assembled the receiving core, the offense all around him, you know, Saquon Barkley and company. Tony being another guy that's that's an extra weapon for them. They really, you know, they have the full corpse out there. So I think that it it just another even more of a reason where we enter a year where it's got to be either Daniel Jones, you do it, or we got to go in another direction. And even though Gettleman is picking up future ones, 
you know, if you're going in a different direction from Daniel Jones, then, then of course, we've got to come back to that being the number one thing that we're talking about when we talk about Dave Gettleman. Now, Kadarius Tony, one thing interesting about him is I, I believe he's undergraded in terms of the football rookie handbook, a 6.4 final grade. And there's a good reason for it. And I talk about it in the introduction to the book. He basically broke our grading scale. Players like him, slot receivers who, who really transcend in their ability to, to stretch the field and serve multiple roles like it's interesting because he kind of gets knocked because he can't play on the outside. I don't believe, we don't believe as a scouting staff that he has the ability to be an outside receiver on the NFL level. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be in the backfield. He's going to do all sorts of different gadget roles for you as a ball carrier and doing different things. And he's also going to take the top off the defense, but he's not going to be that outside guy. And our, and our scale by definition limits him for that reason. But it's funny to say like he's not versatile because at the same time, He's got this kind of Percy Harvin quality to him where there's like nobody more versatile. He brings so many of these different things to your offense that it, that it's almost like a misnomer to say that about him. So uh, we're re-eval- reevaluating that. I'm going through that with Nathan Cooper and John Todd and the rest of the guys to try to make sure that we're capturing players that bring what he brings to the table, despite the fact that they're limited to being either inside only or outside only type players and the way our scale treats that. The fact of the matter is there are players like this and he's not the only one. I think Dwayne Eskridge is probably somebody that that's, a little bit of a similar flavor. They kind of broke our grading scale this year. So despite the grade, I don't mind this this pick at all. I think he's got, again, bust potential, sure. But I mean, game breaker, absolute game breaker that can really change change angles for you on offense. All right. And the 10th topic of the day, you talk about teams assembling weapons on the offensive side. The Jaguars draft Travis Etienne to complement Trevor Lawrence. They keep the Clemson guys together. It's not the only team that did that. You got Waddle joining Tua. You got Devonta Smith joining Hertz. What do you think? I think that, you know, in one sense, it's kind of nice to see all this stuff together. It's cool to see guys that played together in college, especially, you know, Etienne and Lawrence who played together for years. We're so accustomed to seeing them together. That'll be a cool transition, seeing them come into the league together, seeing the the different Alabama connections reunite, Waddle and Tua, Smith and Hertz, as you mentioned. I think that's all cool, but where I really end up coming back to is just that, College football is too top heavy. You know, all these guys are on the same team. What do we have? Six Alabama guys in the first 24 picks. All these guys are on the same teams because that's where the best athletes are going to go. They're going to go to your Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. And it just feels like these guys, the best athletes are all clustered into the same schools. So it's kind of cute. And at the same time, it's kind of like this sign of the apocalypse that I really don't like. So I, I definitely feel ambivalent about it. It makes it hard on fans of the teams that aren't in that top four or five. I can, I can certainly tell you that from uh, having dealt with some of them. We're cheating. We're going to say that we're going to do two more topics. All right. Topic number 11. Look ahead to day two. Who you got as the top guys remaining? Top guys remaining. I'll run through a bunch of them. Javante Williams at running back. Love him out of UNC. He's somebody that is exciting to watch in terms of breaking tackles, pass protection, does it all. Pat Fryermuth, not a high-end prospect, the tight end out of Penn State. Certainly a step behind Kyle Pitts, but somebody that I, I really enjoy, and I think he brings balance to the run game and the pass game. Could be off the board soon. Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan, the offensive tackle. Uh, he's still 20, hasn't even legally had a drink yet. But at the same time, this is a guy that showed some grown man strength for Michigan, and I think he could be an interesting player at either a right tackle or a guard position for whoever gets him. Ali McNeil, the nose tackle out of NC State, our top nose tackle in the draft. 
Christian Barmore, defensive tackle out of Alabama, our top defensive tackle in the draft. Both those guys still available. You look at Azizo Jalari, the edge out of Georgia, all kinds of upside with his athleticism there. And he's also put it together to an extent on film. So I think there's good value to be had there. I cannot figure out why Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa has not come off the board. The will out of Notre Dame that we talked about before, our top-ranked will. There are other guys, like we mentioned, that are in the same kind of ballpark as him. But, I mean, he's a guy that just brings such versatility. He can go outside and guard the slot. Uh, he can bring it as a blitzer, just play speed all day. I think he's he's likely to come off the board soon. And his you know, linebacker as well, Dylan Moses out of Alabama, a guy that dropped because he was injured in 2019 and played kind of half step off his top pace in 2020. But I think if he can get back to full health, he's a player that I'm really excited about, makes your defense faster instantly along with Osu Koromoa. And then talk about guys I can't figure out why they haven't been drafted. I know safeties are a tough eval, and in terms of positional value, it's always a controversial thing. But Trayvon Morig, I think, brings so much versatility. Safety out of ECU, he's somebody that I really expected to come off the board in the first round, and I think he's a steal for whoever gets him. Good list of guys that will be on within the top 40 picks overall. You can uh, catch the NFL draft coverage on Friday and Saturday. Follow it on uh, the SIS Twitter as well. All right, let's cheat. One last topic. Now we have to bring it up. Aaron Rodgers apparently coming out saying he wants out of Green Bay. Good thing? Bad thing? Your thoughts? Where's he going? I mean, you know, I had no idea what to make of this. I think like everybody else. So, you know, like any good researcher, I went out and reached out to John Shirley, who knows who knows the Packers as well as everybody. And I got to tell you, he was unmoved by this. He thinks that, you know, maybe this is something that's that's out there in the media. But what exactly are the Packers supposed to do? Like they just paid him an extension. You know, he's under contract. So I, I know people like to say he has some leverage here and who knows, maybe we will see something happen. Maybe at some point they say we want out and we need a clean slate, you know, kind of like the Eagles did this year. But, you know, John wasn't concerned about it. And I think it would be a real shame for the Packers if they moved on from Aaron Rodgers. For now, I'm going to say, you know, we should probably pump our brakes a little bit and not overreact. Trading the NFL MVP, that would be uh, something else, certainly. All right, this wraps up the Off the Charts Rapid Reaction NFL Draft Special. For Matt Menacherian and Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy the rest of the draft.